Welcome to the Union Jews Podcast. UK's only Things Union show, produced for your downloadable digital delight and appreciation in this week's episode. Wales TUC General Secretary Shivani Taj on social partnership and movement building. Congress 2020. Was it stopgap or springboard? And union news from the front line in transport, telecoms and in hospitals. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Union Jews, the UK's only all things union podcast. I'm Simon Sapper and we've got a great episode coming up for you. Yes, in this episode, we have an in-depth discussion with the General Secretary of the Wales TUC, Shivana Taj. Great insights about social partnership, uh, about how the Wales TUC and its affiliates have dealt with COVID, about building the movement. Really good stuff, really good stuff. And as we look back on the TUC's 2020 Congress, Obviously, very different to Congress's past uh, because of COVID. I'm going to be posing the question, does the TUC and the movement get enough bang for its buck when it comes to Congress? But first, let's have a quick roundup of news from the front line. Some things that have caught my eye. I don't know if they caught your eye as well. A really brutal reminder that COVID is still out there. It's still deadly. And we're not all in this in the same way. This latest stat is that proportionately more London bus drivers have died than almost any other professional group, including healthcare workers. 29 deaths out of a workforce of around 25,000. And that's despite the excellent and insistent work that Unite has been doing to make sure drivers are properly equipped and protected. That's a grim reminder for sure. And solidarity and support for the union as it carries on its vital work there. Uh, CWU seems unable to keep out of the news when it comes to union dues anyway. <laughs> um, the latest is a group of open reach employees who are repayment planners. These are people who, as the union website says, a hugely complex and highly lucrative role for open reach. So it's, you know, these are people who are key in the company's architecture and on a 92% turnout, they have voted by a margin of 90% to take industrial action if the company come after their terms and conditions. Now, what I mean, that's, you know, that's fantastic solidarity, a very clear message to the employer. But what's really interesting about this, it was the members themselves that asked the union to conduct a ballot in order that they could register their determination and solidarity in, in the face of what they feared would be coming from management. So interesting and, and heartening news. And finally, in terms of news from the front line, I'd like to give a shout out to filmmaker Hazel Falk, who has made a documentary with the United Voices of the World Union, concentrating on the campaign by outsourced ancillary workers at St. Mary's Hospital in Paddington to be taken back in on NHS contracts and terms and conditions. Short film, only about 22 minutes, but a really interesting, engaging story of 
the issue and of the journey of individuals through the process, you know, how they become involved in the union, become politicized, have the determination appetite to take strike action and what happens as a result uh, of that strike action. If you search on Google or any other search engine for YouTube, Hazel Falk, F-A-L-C-K, you'll get to the film. It's, it's a really good watch, a stirring watch, but it, it leaves me with two questions, two questions that I, I think, I think are, are inevitable once you get to that point. The first is sort of justice trade unionism is fine and good and important and inspiring and liberating and effective. But what happens when you put the sword down or the sword is taken away from you? What's, what's the size and shape and dynamics of the union then? And the second question is how do we facilitate a coming together of the energy and the focus and the agility of what people call new unions like IWGB and United Voices with conventional longer established unions? Because we're all on the same side and it's really important that we work as closely and effectively together as we can. So some interesting questions. I'd be grateful for your views and your thoughts. If you're caught up in any of those stories, if you've got a view on them, you can email us at unionjews at makesyouthink.com. You can tweet us at Jews Union. Please join the discussion. Love to hear your views. Now our special guest for this episode, General Secretary of the Wales TUC, Shivana Taj. I was delighted that Shivana was able to spend some time with us because she is unbelievably busy. We had a really good discussion uh, about what what. Welsh unions have done to protect their members during the time of COVID, how they continue to to build the movement, the realities, the virtues, and sometimes the constraints of a social partnership approach with the Welsh government. Enjoy. Here she is. Shivana Taj, welcome to the Union Dues podcast. Thank you so much for making time during a manically busy period to, to spend some time with us and talk trade unionism, Wales, and, and all things related. Thanks, Simon. Really nice to be able to do this today. So, I mean, the starting point is, how does the experience of leading the, the Wales TUC compare and contrast with your role in PCS? Well, I guess the difference here really is, is that in PCS, it was a civil service trade union. So predominantly dealing with the devolved public sector and the MOD, which is the other part of sort of bargaining oversight responsibilities that I had. And we when you are organising and bargaining in the civil service, it is very different to be in the General Secretary of, of the Wales TUC in that it's this is more of a sort of, you need to try and keep all of the 48 affiliated unions together and united as much as possible whilst playing a very kind of, I guess, a, a lead role in trying to ensure that all workers' rights are protected in Wales, yeah. regardless of which sector it is. And of yeah. course, sometimes you can have differences of opinion and different approaches from each union. Um, so it's, it's trying to keep everyone united, but also pushing forward with the bigger agenda, the bigger piece, you know? Yeah, yeah. Indeed, I can imagine the, the dynamics are... <laughs> a very different, 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 different challenges. challenges um, yeah. I suppose one of the things that is what well, is distinctive about your current role is, you know, if, if the Welsh government want to talk any about trade unions, they call you. Yeah, access to politicians is probably easier, isn't it, in Wales than than, than say in, in London. Yeah. Uh, so, but is is that a good thing? Well, so people are always sceptical of of this. You know, I think COVID has really demonstrated that even though we have formal social partnership arrangements and we meet with government on a regular basis in relation to anything to do with the economy, jobs, 
terms and conditions, big policy sort of matters, we can we we can engage in that, but that doesn't mean that we don't have the right and retain our right to be critical and retain our right to take action um, collectively should we feel necessary to do so. So I think that we can, we've been able to, even, for example, at the start of the pandemic, there were real issues over PPE and testing as they were across the country. And even though we had a, a Labour government here, did not stop us or did not mean that we weren't going to be public in terms of how we felt that, you know, that things weren't going as well as they could have been and that there were some real serious issues on the ground when it came to organising workers, representing workers and making sure that they were safe in the workplace. So we had, even though we can have those formal meetings and so forth, sometimes they are things that you are going to have to go public with and actually, and it's only right that we do so. So you've got to keep that sort of external campaigning sort of focus and organizing focus because actually what goes on behind closed doors isn't necessarily what workers see. So where do they place that value? What do they see on a regular basis? The only thing that they genuinely will be seeing at a time like a lockdown, for example, will be what government is telling them. It'll be whatever the briefings are. So if the unions aren't vocal at a time like this, how and, and you can't maybe physically get into as many workplaces as you did previously for, for, for a variety of different you know health and safety reasons, then you've got to find other ways and means of organizing and, and getting your message out. And, and doing that publicly is one thing, but also engaging in events online and, and kind of trying to reach out to a bigger audience is how you, how you build the movement. Absolutely. And I, I get the point that you make about what people see yeah. and the substance of what is what is happening. And what, I mean, are there other aspects, apart from the sort of union government connection and the nature of that relationship, are there other aspects of the COVID crisis as it affects unions and, and the members that are distinctively Welsh in some way? Well, I think that health and safety has been different here in terms of how we've protected workers. And the fact that we have now set up a National Health and Safety Forum, it's something that we've been calling for for a very, for a very long time at a national level and across the country. In Ireland, they managed to do it. That's going to be meeting for the first time next week. The purpose of that is to be able to get the Welsh government officials, the trade union leads, including the Wales TUC, and the various different business representatives like the CBI and the FSB and so forth, but also the enforcement agencies, so HSE and the environmental oh, right. officers as okay. well. So yeah. we will be able to look at the bigger picture. Are there particular hotspots? Are there particular sectors and areas where we are continuing to see problems and a rise in the number of people catching coronavirus? Or and is it continuously in the same area or is it somewhere different? And also an op- it gives us an opportunity then t- to revisit those workplace risk assessments. Yeah. And here we, we worked, you know, we've worked really hard in social partnership with government and employer organizations as trade unions to to make sure that the two meter social distancing rule, you know, those regulations, that we retain those here in Wales. And and, mm. and I think that we've benefited as a result of that. And and making sure as well, unlike in England, where we you know, there wasn't really a gradual easing of lockdown. It almost kind of felt like they just went boom and everything everything reopened all at the same time. Lots of confusion. And now all of a sudden social distancing went out the window altogether. 
And then face coverings became mandatory, but then there was no social distancing to go with it. So we all became really confusing. And here, we, I think that by, my, by maintaining social distancing and making sure that we're mitigating as much risk as possible, because nothing is 100% guaranteed, of course, and also on a regular basis. So every fortnight, we meet with government officials and public health Wales. We have a full briefing on how testing is going across the entire country. We also have a briefing about PPE and how much PPE is available where the unions have an opportunity to bring some of the problems that we are seeing on the ground to the table as well. And it's an, op- it's an opportunity for us then to, again, work through some of those problems. So having that kind of engagement on a regular basis, I think, has made a, a real big difference to the, the experience of workers in Wales in comparison to, you know, England for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> I, I think what you've described is something that people who uh, interact with Westminster Parliament can, can, can like only dream of, really. And that's that's a very stat, sad state of affairs. It, it really is. It really is, uh, yeah. I mean, moving away from COVID, I, I just wondered, and especially given that PCS and in your former role, you, you know, there was such an emphasis and investment in young workers and organising young young members. From the Wales TUC perspective, what's your approach to finding the Welsh share of what's been called the missing half million? So we have, interestingly, uh, we commissioned some research and more work into just transition and what that means for Welsh workers, particularly for young workers. And we've also done some further research into opportunities for growth in terms of jobs and job opportunities and upskilling young workers in particular. And I think that the other thing that we've started to do and we need to do better, and I think this is where the Scottish TUC are really good in that, that, you know, they really kept on top of the Better Than Zero campaign. And I think that's always a really good hook as far as engaging the ordinary young worker. But the other thing that we did was very early on in the pandemic, we set up a whistleblowing site, which meant that anyone could anonymously or otherwise post in what the problems were in their workplaces. And as a result of that, there have been more younger people querying and actually, as a result, joining the union, getting more active. So that's helped. I think we need to be much more sort of targeted in our approach. But the other thing that we we knew is that there was a larger proportion of younger workers who worked in retail and do work in you know retail and ho- the hospitality sector and the creative industry and many of the the younger workers particularly are not necessarily going to be in a position or work in an area where they could have been furloughed and be- because of the types of contracts and so forth that they have so we've been trying to to work through what we can actually do in terms of protecting those workers and today, interestingly, actually, we're due to begin our discussions about a creative contract for the entire sector, regardless of your terms and conditions, or whether, you know, your class is self-employed or otherwise as well. And also, as far as the support from government here is, in Wales is concerned, if you are self-employed and you are going to be able to, to be able to, to benefit from additional government support, it, particularly for, for the arts and culture creative sector, which isn't something that's happened at a, at a UK that's level. Right. So this, no, I think there's right. loads of opportunities. And we've seen, again, you know, when it comes to younger workers as well, particularly younger BME workers, we've done a lot of work in trying to make sure that we are 
broadening. Uh, I mean, there's there's 400,000 plus workers in Wales that are a member of the union. And that doesn't include those that might be, you know, members of like Workers of the World or other organizations that aren't mm-hmm. affiliated to the TUC. And we have actively now worked with third sector BME organizations. And we've just recently set up a, a BAME helpline. And it deals with a range of different matters, but anything in relation to employment and work-related health and safety issues, they come to us and then we work with our affiliates to pick up on those cases, recruit those individuals into the union. I think, again, that gives us yet another opportunity to keep building and actually making sure that we are cutting through to every person because sometimes it's very difficult to be able to actually get access into certain areas. And I think sometimes either it's difficult or it's a, it's an issue. And I, and I refer back to PCS in that so many times we've had to take a decision as to where you focus your attention and your time and your resources and going into certain sectors where you may have more younger workers, more BME workers, it says sometimes you've, you, the union's got to take a decision. Do we focus on areas where we've already got recognition, we've got access, but we need to do the work in terms of building building up the branch at a local level, or you know what do we do? So I think the role of of the Wales TUC is to assist the unions in that, and I think that these types of you know, opportunities and engagements. I think this is how we do it. That's what our role as far as the bigger organising picture is concerned. Yeah, I mean, I agree with the ability, the unique ability of a trade union centre like the Wales TUC to concentrate on strategic issues Mm. that perhaps affiliates won't be able to cover because they're too busy firefighting or dealing with servicing rather than than organising is really important. And what you spoke about, Shav, with the the creative sector, you know, where you've got loads of people who have been who've been left out of the CJRS and of, of the the self employed scheme still are dependent on universal credit and you know which is you're assuming you can get through that quagmire to get this fantastically luxurious benefit you know not so, so. universal credit what what was really interesting was the number of people that contacted us to say that they didn't know how bad it was and it's interesting, again, you know, as far as the creative industry is concerned with freelancers, you know, many of them, obviously, UK level, they weren't able to benefit here. We're now in a position where freelancers are going to be able to get access into some Welsh government support that, that we've negotiated through through social partnership. But as far as universal credit is concerned, and as far as statutory sick pay is concerned, I mean, come on. I mean, the good news here, the, the one good thing I, I've got to say is that here we've we recently agreed with government that anyone who works in social care, um, Welsh government, if you have to self if you test positive and you self isolate for the fourteen days, and you are only entitled to your ninety five pound of you know a week, mm. then Welsh government will make up the difference of your what you would normally get in terms of your wages and the the sick, uh, the statutory sick pay. So that you know the figure in between. The government will guarantee oh, that that's, payment. That's that's. I mean, that's that's great and good, and it's as it's as it should be. So that's Fantastic. good. But more yeah, can be done. Good. And sometimes, yeah. and this is where the frustration, I think, from from my perspective, is, is that you know, because we don't have the kinds of powers that I would have, you know, would have, particularly during a period of crisis, if we had had 
then I think that things would have been potentially even better than, and I'm not saying they're perfect, they're far from perfect, but they are still a lot better. Well, objectively, you can see that that is the case. You know, it's not just, you know, rosy-eyed sentimentality or whatever. It, you can see in, in pounds and pence that it's it, it's, ma- it's making a difference. Oh, by the way, the other thing, Simon, I, I think is probably <clears throat> worth mentioning, actually, is that we've also just agreed anyone that has been in receipt of government support, so any business, um, small, medium-sized business that was able to apply to the Welsh Government Support Scheme in addition to the UK government one, will now be receiving a letter from the minister that says, you know, you should welcome trade unions. And it's like a formal access letter. So we're just in the process of signing that off. Wow. And that gives us an wow, opportunity to go into so the important. That is so I mean, when you think about the changes of the structure of business with the predominance of, uh, of micro-businesses and small businesses, and, and they're often on out-of-town industrial parks and all the rest of it, that's more than worth its weight in gold. Absolutely. So, that means, uh, uh, so, so there's some right, really good excellent. stuff happening, you know. Yeah, there's some really I mean, frustrating stuff, but there's some really good stuff as well. I mean, to, to the outside, my mum was Welsh from Tulare, so I've got I've got a stake in this, you know. Yeah, but you know, from to, to the outside, of Wales Wales can sometimes seem like complicated geography, demographics, politics, language, but from the way we're talking, it, it isn't really. It's the same sort of interaction and the value of social yeah. partnership and 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 being able to articulate the views of the people we represent. I agree. Yeah. I mean, I never thought that I would be in a position where the director of, you know, CBI Wales is agreeing with the union on so many different matters and and being in a position where we could contact each other if something happens in a particular business or organization and have that conversation about, look, things are not going well. We need to get access. What can we do? What can you do to help us? We need to make improvements there. We're having some real issues. There's a couple of members, but we haven't got union recognition. What can you do to help us overcome that? And it's been really interesting this period. And I think that it really does, to me, demonstrate that if you live and work in Wales, whether you're on the employer side or whether you're on the union side, there is that middle ground somewhere in between that you can reach. Do you think the the recognition that that is valuable to have that middle ground and a willingness to, to from both sides to reach it. Do you think that sort of mindset and approach will continue once if <laughs> the pandemic has passed? Well, look, we're looking to legislate for social partnership. All oh, right, okay. And but if the coronavirus, you know, if this health pandemic hadn't happened, by now we would have been in a very different position. But because of what happened and so forth. We are not going to be able to introduce the legislation during this assembly term, but it will be prepared and it will be for the next government ultimately to sort of pick it up. But it will be prepared in readiness. And hopefully, you know, we do have a government that still wants to engage with unions and and understands that there's real value in social partnership. And if we can get that into into legislation, then that's kind of, I think, you know, we've done something of real value there. Uh, absolutely, for sure, for sure. One last question, this sw- is switching tack entirely. When did you first know you wanted to be a union rep? I mean, it's not, it's it, it's a bit of a calling, isn't it? I mean, I, I got into unions because my dad was a union rep. Yeah. You know, and I, but, but when did you first know you wanted to, to follow that path? And, and what or who has kind of most influenced you on your union journey? So my dad was also a union rep. He was a health and safety rep. 
And when we were kids, we would uh, go past the, the building that I now work in, which is the big Unite building on, on Cleeder Road, a transfer house. And he would say, that's where we go to sort things out when things go bad. You know, when things are really serious, that's where we go. go. So we always associated this. And, and, and I remember because my dad worked in the steelworks. So and when there were strikes and so forth and this. So it was completely normal. This was where we lived. It's everyone was in the union. And so that was just how life was. In terms of my personal, I I was always really I I think I became what politicized me in the sort of community organizing sense was I think I was about 13 and a half, 14 years old. I was on my way to school and someone gave me a flyer. And funnily enough, I've still got it because I guess I think for me, that's the point of, of when it all made sense. And it, it was a flyer that said, you may have seen some of the fascist graffiti in the area. If you're interested in knowing more and stuff, you know, this is a PO box number, mm-hmm. write in and we'll get in touch. So my friend and I, we got this. So we wrote into the PO box. We heard nothing. A few weeks later, we wrote again. We heard nothing. So we thought, well, what can we do? So we decided, we had a word with the deputy head and we ran an anti-racism campaign internally in the school. And we got in touch with the local radio station and they came down in the school hall. We basically had like uh, like a music and stuff and we kind of put posters up everywhere and we kind of ran this campaign, anti-racism campaign. And then and then we just carried on campaigning and raising awareness locally in our school on a range of matters. And then, of course, for me, the the big, the very clear thing that happened was when Stephen Lawrence was murdered. It was at that point that I started, myself and a couple of friends, we would take a coach down to Congress House. And, you know, there was the, the Stephen Lawrence Task Force group had been set up. And you would see people being very vocal on it and, and we'd come back and we would be active at a local level here in Cardiff. And that just kind of carried on. And I, and I think that the people who were active at that time that you would then see were the likes of Roger McKenzie. They were the likes of Francis O'Grady. So those were the people. And so I think that when you see, particularly when you see women, and when you see other black people being very vocal and standing up against something, and like my, you know, my dad was always, you know, he, you know, for him, it was, you've, you've always got to stand up. Like, regardless how hard it is, you can't let the other side see that it's hard, right? You can do that behind closed doors with the people who, who love you and care for you, but outside you've got to be ready for the fight. And there's always going to be a fight to be had because actually nothing is equal. And so you need to always be ready for that. And when I was younger, I think I was much more, um, you know, you go, it's like I, I look at the, the younger people now who are really active, the, the newer kind of like young leaders that you're seeing coming up, the organizers of Black Lives Matter. And I, there's so much of myself that I see in them. Yeah. And there's, then you have like those of us who've kind of been through that. And sometimes I think that people can become almost institutionalized in the way that we operate. And it's really exciting because that you see that because it reminds you again of what it actually really is about. 
And that actually this kind of like intergenerational solidarity becomes so real then. And I think that it really does kind of, and, and what's been really great about, I think, from, from my perspective with Black Lives Matter protests and stuff, the last time we saw that many people coming out was like, I remember going on like the anti-war marches and stuff and you shout it and stuff and you've lost your voice by the end of it and you just can't. And, 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 and it was seeing the amount of like people from all backgrounds prepared to stand together, united and so forth we've we've got to take from that and we've got to understand that actually maybe we haven't got all the answers and that's okay yes. and maybe yeah. they haven't got all the answers and that's okay but if we work together or we share our experiences we've got a better we've got much more of a fighting chance of dismantling institutional systemic structural inequality and and racism and at a time when you've got we've got the elections in America, anything can happen. We've got Boris hopefully falling apart and Labour on top of it. I think that there's I think there is an opportunity of hope, and and it's really easy to to kind of think like everything is really awful. But I think that there's a, there is a real opportunity of, of hope, and yeah, I'm really excited. That's fantastic. If, if ever that, I've, that's the best exposition of the glass is half full I've heard in a long while. Savannah, best of luck for the future and thank you so much for spending time. Thank you, Simon. I hope you found that interesting and enjoyable. It was, it was just a delight to spend uh, some time in Shaf's company. I hope that you took confidence, you know, her innate optimism and positivity that actually even in very difficult circumstances we can prevail. The report that uh, she mentioned from the Scottish TUC Better Than Zero and the Missing Half Million uh, report that came up in discussion about young members or, or the lack of young members in, in trade unions. You can find links to both those documents on the blog post that accompanies this podcast. You can find that over on the makes-new-think.com website and under the Loud Shirts blog heading. We'll also be featuring the General Secretary of the Scottish TUC, Roseanne Foyer, in a future episode in this series of Union Jews. And if you want to find out more about what the TUC is doing in Wales, it's tuc.org.uk forward slash Wales. Well, that's just about it for this episode. Thank you so much for your company over the last half hour, 40 minutes or so. Really hope you've enjoyed the show. Hope it's made you think, given you food for thought. If you like what you hear, if you don't like what you hear, if you're moved to put your thoughts in writing, you can do so by emailing us at unionjews. That makes you think dot com. You can tweet us at Jews Union. Please do both if you like please do join the discussion we'd love to have your input also if you can rate or review us on the podcasting platform of your choice that would be great it really does make a difference we'll be back next week when it's london fashion week one of the highlights of the fashion year what's this got to do with unions i hear you ask well it's because actually catwalk models are the target of a union organising campaign run by Equity, the Performers Union. And I'll be chatting with Equity's national organiser, Jamie Bryars, in next week's show. Until then, uh, my usual shout out to my fellow podcasters in the Ladybird Radio Podcast Network. Uh, you can access nearly 70 trade union related podcasts through their platform. And don't forget, they're based in the US, so it's Labour without a U. Don't forget, you can find a companion blog to this podcast with all the links and signposting you'll need over on the makesyouthink.com website. 
until next time, this is me, Simon Sapper, saying thanks very much for listening. Stay safe and I'll see you around. The Union Dues podcast is presented by me, Simon Sapper. It is a Makes You Think production.